847 is 366 and 7. Hello, everyone. Welcome to A Score to Settle, a podcast focused on uh, music composed for movies and television, commonly referred to as soundtracks, but more accurately, a film score or a TV score. Uh, I'm your host, Brian McVicker. Some of you might know me through my blog of the same name, A Score to Settle, found at the site ascoretosettle.blogspot.com. The the blog is where I uh, chart my life through soundtrack albums I've collected over the years. Uh, connecting them to specific moments and memories, uh, both good and bad. Um, And if you like the podcast, definitely feel free to check out the blog. Uh, But maybe even if you don't like the podcast, still check out the blog, because it's a different spin on this this topic. But with this podcast, uh, I hope to share more about the music that I love um, in some fun segments, uh, such as whatever I'm currently listening to, at the time, and uh, also a movie music mixtape segment. Uh, plus, I'm excited to invite guests on the show for discussion. Uh, I'm, I'm hoping to include both fans uh, and individuals involved in the industry to talk about their experiences, um, and maybe we can hash out a particular favorite score. Um, basically, we could settle a score, uh, whether we agree or disagree. But uh, hopefully everyone will enjoy it. Um, so uh, let's go ahead and get into the, uh, the first segment of uh, this, uh, this episode. Welcome, everyone, to the uh, segment of the show uh, where I like to talk about what I've been listening to lately. Um, This could be something new in my collection. Uh, It could be uh, an album I've had for a long time, but just seem to be listening to a lot. Um, But this week, uh, or for this episode, um, I'm excited to talk about uh, a score I've owned for a long time uh, by one of my very favorite composers, Jerry Goldsmith. Uh, this is the score for Logan's Run from 1976. So that sound you're hearing, um, that electronic sound, um, is the sound of the future, or at least the sound of the future as envisioned in 1976. Um, but this, uh, this score is one of my very favorites of, of Jerry Goldsmith, probably one of my top ten from him, um, and, a, and a real high-water mark for the 70s from him, I think, uh, you know, kind of right smack in the middle of it. Um, but it's it's a uh, it's science fiction. Um, it's kind of part of that dystopian arm of science fiction. This is the year before Star Wars, um, so before everything changed visually and narratively and musically when Star Wars came along, um, this was still part of that uh, type of science fiction that uh, was a lot more prevalent. You know, through movies like Planet of the Apes or Soylent Green or The Omega Man, um, kind of that dystopian vision of our future. And uh, along with that came uh, there. There was kind of a, there was a lot more electronics at the time that were used in in science fiction, and uh, th- that kind of definitely was a part of this this score as well. This was kind of before again, like I said, everything changed the, the year following when Williams came along and did Star Wars, where that then became the sound of science fiction. Um, but just the year before, um, 
uh, Jerry Goldsmith produced this score, composed this score, which uh, is a really great culmination of so many of his abilities up until this time. Um, it's got the fully orchestral side of him, uh, which uh, up until that point had been heard in scores like uh, the Blue Max and the Sand Pebbles, uh, something very lush and very rich like this. And uh, it's also got an elements of uh, just strings and piano, but not in any sort of romantic way, in a very reserved, very cold uh, sort of fashion. Um, very much like what he did for uh, the movie Freud back in 1962. Um, it's, it's more in line with the works of uh, composer Bella, Be- uh, Bella Bartok, uh, a, a basically classical concert composer. A lot of um, modern, as of 20th century, concert techniques, um, but very austere strings and piano, um, like this. Uh, it's also got kind of the weird acoustic uh, experiments that, that Goldsmiths like to do from time to time. Um, you know, like the mixing bowls and Planet of the Apes and some of the other weird sound effects. And of course, it's got the synth side, the electronic side of, of Jerry Goldsmith, where he talked about how he'd always been interested in, uh, in electronics. And as his career continued, he uh, incorporated them more and more into his music, um, sometimes as a, as a character, as a unique character of the score, and sometimes just more of a color, as he got more into the 80s and 90s, just sort of more of a color to the orchestra, um, never replacing an instrument in the orchestra, just an additional color. But here, the electronics absolutely play their own role in uh, characterizing the future side of, of, this, of this movie, um, and which is represented in tracks uh, like this. So it's, uh, like I said, I think the score is so varied and has so much to offer. I think, you know, for, for any fans of Jerry Goldsmith um, or even fans of uh, 70s film scoring, 
um, because it, you know, even if you just like the electronic side, there's that's great stuff there. Even if you just like the orchestral side, he does amazing things there orchestrally. Um, but the just for a little context, the story, um, it's it's uh, the movie's based on a book uh, by William F. Nolan and uh, George Clayton Johnson, and uh, it's it portrays a future where nobody lives past thirty, um, and instead everyone is ritually uh, renewed, quote unquote. Um, there's essentially sort of a big ceremony where, um, it's almost like a mass, um, uh, suicide in a way it's, 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 uh, but everyone there who is being renewed you know, quote unquote is, uh, believing they'll be reborn again. Um, but the story is that there's one character, Logan, uh, actually Logan five, who, um, is assigned to uncover, um, infiltrate sort of people who run, people who escape um, this society, this future society. And he starts to doubt that way of life and that philosophy. Um, and, uh, but, you know, the, the, they all live in a, in a sort of uh, sealed dome city. Um, but uh, that they, that they all are kind of, they, they, no one knows that anything is outside of that city. Um, so sort of running from that, no one really knows, you know, what's outside. Um, but what I, you know, think is, is really great about it musically is it's very, it's, it's complex. It's varied. Like I said, it incorporates electronics and orchestra and sometimes they're combined together and sometimes they're left to their own devices. Um, but you know, the, it was, it's a distinct uh, sonic landscape for the, for the film. You know, it's very unique just for Logan's run and, you know, as far as what Goldsmith provided and, um, you know, like the that full orchestra sound that you heard a little bit of is really reserved until an hour into the movie. That's what's really unique about it is that the score kind of blossoms and flourishes as the movie goes along. Um, early on, you're really just getting only the electronics or only the strings and piano. Um, and it's not until the two main protagonists, uh, Logan five and uh, Jessica six, who finally escape the protected environment of the dome and are out in the open air that the music opens up at all. And that's when the orchestra is allowed to flourish um, and uh, become a bit more romantic and lush. Uh, There's two main thematic ideas that kind of persist through all the tonal and instrumental shifts in Logan's run. Um, And those are the love theme and this uh, sort of rising motif. It's, it's this three note grouping and, it kind of just uh, it gets repeated so often in the score, whether it's you know the the main component or whether it's just sort of a ostinato, a rhythmic uh, sort of component of the music. But uh, the 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 love theme is is heard in, in various uh, incarnations, which I think is is really interesting. Um, it's it's heard um, when Logan and Jessica first meet, but it's not played in any sort of romantic fashion what's what i think is interesting is that it's played in a very cold reserved way uh their first meeting is very perfunctory um and i love the way that the love theme you know kind of you know uh, colors that um doesn't give away any hint that anything romantic is going to happen between them um and then as far as the little motif that little three note grouping um it's heard all over the place like i said and actually um what i'll play here is a little bit of uh the opening cue uh, called the dome where there's a synth pulse right at the beginning which is actually those three notes played really fast but then you'll hear the same three notes in the uh, trumpets and brass 
um, kind of rising up. So as uh, you know, like I said, those are the components that that uh, carry through most of the score. And then for the love theme, like I mentioned, its first, you know, real incarnation is uh, it's in a queue called "On the Circuit." Uh, Logan and Jessica first meet, and almost it's 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 like a future version of the internet. Um, you basically kind of put yourself on the circuit to be picked up. And uh, that's how Logan meets Jessica. But like I said, their first meeting is is uh, um, very dry, and you know th- there's nothing romantic about it. So the the sound of the what you'll hear here is the in this cue is the that three note motif is kind of in the plucked strings, the pizzicato strings, and then above it all is the love theme. Uh, but you'll hear it played in a very cold fashion. Now, uh, that that love theme will come back again um, later on in the movie. Um, but you know, basically, when Logan and Jessica finally emerge from the dome, um, it's able to be presented in a much more lush presentation. Um, and uh, th- there's a it it just flourishes so much more outside of the dome. Um, so there's a cue called uh, the monument where we kind of hear it really really flourish and so we'll hear a little bit of that here. So 
just to uh, close out this segment on the score for Logan's run, I, w- I wanted to make one other comment about the progression of the music um, and how it unfolds over the course of the movie into something more uh, fully orchestral. I, w- I was realizing and rewatching it recently that the the two main characters, Logan and Jessica, that as they leave the city, they leave the confines of that hermetically sealed dome where, like I said, everybody um, lives this hedonistic lifestyle and they have to end their life at 30, that as they have left the city and they uh, venture outside, they learn more about um, humanity's past. And they sort of are taught and uncover um, old traditions that had been forgotten. And uh, in watching it and realizing it, it's interesting how the music moves from being experimental, electronic, a lot of modern concert classical um, idioms, that it moves into a more traditional orchestral um, major mode type of sound. And it's just sort of, as I was watching it, I thought it was interesting that I think in one way that could be a comment on what they learn in terms of them uncovering older traditions as the score itself you know, progresses into a more traditional orchestral mold. And that kind of carries through to the end of the story. Uh, basically, um, the uh, the film and the score uh, wrap up in a major key crescendo. The, uh, the little rising three-note motif gets one more uh, appearance before the love theme pretty much takes over um, for the crescendo. And, you know, things in on a positive note. Um, Hopefully no spoiler alerts, um, but uh, it is an old film. Um, but it kind of, it it sort of puts a, a spin, it puts a, I guess it puts it in the sense that those traditional, those traditions that had been uncovered in, um, by Logan and Jessica might be embraced um, by uh, the characters, the rest of the, the civilization, of that current civilization that the movie um, displays. Um which we can hear a little bit of that now. So, um, you know, this is just one of the many, many scores by Jerry Goldsworth that I love. And I think this is just one of those that just, like I said, give a, a great example of uh, in one score, you get just a huge amount of variety um, uh, tonally and, and, and orchestrational, you know, in terms of the instrumentation. Um, you get such a variety on uh, just one score uh, range of, seeing, of hearing what uh, Jerry Goldsworth is capable of, which really knew no bounds. Um, but this score, among many others, are just you know some of the countless reasons why uh, he's one of my favorite composers. So you know if you're interested, if you only got uh, some Jerry Goldsmith scores, I would suggest definitely checking out this score if you can. Uh, it's been available on album and CD for a while. I would suggest uh, if you can get a copy of the 
expanded edition from FilmScore Monthly um, at filmscoremonthly.com or screenarchives.com. But it's really a great score, even if you get the just the original shorter album. Um, but hopefully you enjoyed this segment and uh, some of the samples that I played of the uh, score to Logan's Run uh, from 1976, composed by Jerry Goldsmith. Welcome back to a Score to Settle podcast for movie and TV music. Uh, my guest on this episode is Neil Bulk, who is a uh, classic soundtrack uh, editor and producer um, and a good friend of mine. Uh, so welcome to the show. Hey, it's good. It's nice to be here. Thanks. I'm in my home. <laughs> right. <laughs> I'm changing recording location. Yeah. <laughs> you, you just always say it's nice to be here, except... We're in my home, so it's it, it, it's it's nice to have you here. It's and it's nice to be here in your home. Yes, exactly. Thank you for welcoming me in. I kept knocking until yeah, I'm like what? Oh, it's another podcast guy. <laughs> they won't leave me alone. Because <laughs> yeah, you have done some. You have, yeah, you have done a couple podcasts. Yeah. yeah. Um, so can you describe your um, your you know role? I guess in your in so far as like soundtrack editor and producer you know, i'm, I'm thrown off here you're wearing headphones and oh, i'm yeah, like sorry. you know I'm like, that's yeah that's... <laughs> keep that part in though it's a habit <laughs> no i'm like oh, i'm trying to have a conversation and he's wearing headphones he, what's he listening to i'm still listening is to he you. listening to me could he be listening i, I don't know i'm oh, sorry so what was the question um if you can t- sort of describe you know for for uh for, for the audience like what your job entails as far as soundtrack editor and producer um, basically, it comes down to being hired by a label, uh, Twilight Time, uh, the Blu-ray label, La La Land Records, Entrada, uh, being assigned a project, or sometimes I'll pursue a project, but, you know, getting the project, uh, doing the research, finding tapes, finding paperwork, getting the movie, uh, going through and determining how the music was used in the movie, you know, in, in terms of performances and mixes, uh, figuring that all out, compiling it, and then trying to make, you know, a record out of it. Uh, or, or in the case of Twilight Time, it's just an isolated score that you can watch along with, with, with the movie on, on Blu-ray. Right. Um, but, you know, you're, you know, you're, and, and, and in, in addition to that, you know, it, did it have a record in the past? What did they do on that? And it's a whole process, and it, it's gotten um, a bit more... Uh, it used to be sort of like uh, I'm trying to think. It's, it's become a little bit more structured lately in the last uh, few years, where you it, you know it used to be I'm just doing sound work and I'm just working in Pro Tools and I'm putting this all together and I'm passing it on to another engineer to mix or to master and then I get it back. And now it's there's a lot of paperwork involved and not so much the paperwork from the time you know the tape boxes, but it's also preparing spreadsheets. Oh, <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. And so there are some times where it's like. <laughs> I'm not even doing any Pro Tools work today. I'm literally just typing up a spreadsheet to pass on that it's that is a roadmap breakdown of exactly what the album is, and you know this cue is owned by this label, and this cue is owned by this studio, and it's this many minutes are here, and this many minutes are here, and it's a whole. So it's it's become you know sometimes like I said it's it's like I haven't turned on Pro Tools today. I've just done this administrative paperwork so so you know sometimes people think oh you must have the greatest job in the world and i'm like i do have a great job yeah i'm not going to kid you i'm I'm no longer going to describe your job as that anymore so i learned today stop saying that 
that Neil has a better job. <laughs> no, 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 no. no. I, I, I'm very, I'm very grateful for the job. But it, it, there was, you know, there's paperwork in every job. I guess that's the other thing. Yeah, there is, there is. It just, it just never felt like it was this much, this much paperwork. I uh, last week or a week or two ago, I turned in. I was like, I was all excited. I turned in two spreadsheets. <laughs> I'm like, look, they're done. <laughs> it sounds like uh, the best office job ever. Uh, you know, at some point, there'll be terrific albums, too. But for right now, they only exist as terrific spreadsheets. Well, and, and coming in, it's a lot of moving parts, like you said. And, it's in, and I know that it's been complicated because you have to deal with it's the physical elements. What condition are they in? Um, and, far, and then, like you said, ownership. Who has the rights to the music? Did it change? Is it you know a different owner? Um, and you know, but like the elements, it seems like that seems to that, that is a lot of a the roadblock initially, right? In terms of like the quality. Well, it, it can be. It, it it no two projects are the same. Uh, I've worked on projects where you know the studio didn't have anything, and you know, like you go to the composer and thank goodness the composer has something, and this could be something recent. Can you talk a little bit about that with, uh, uh, I think one of the ones that was notable was Batman, if I'm remembering correctly. That, well, uh... ba Batman, we can talk about Batman. Batman was always a difficult project. Um, we first did it in 2010. and This is the 1989. This is the 1989 yep. Danny Elfman score to Batman. And, and what happened on that show was we had three different elements transferred for it i you know it was seven years ago let me think we had some mag transferred and that was four track left center right surround we had quarter inch transferred and even with those two elements with the quarter inch and with the mag it still wasn't the entire score you're still missing we, pieces of music missing you know and missing some important stuff and i'm like well how what else can there be? So then we went to, we found a stereo music stem for the movie. And what a music stem is, you know, uh, there are three components to the sound of a movie. That's dialogue, effects, and music. And they will record, when they do their final mixes, they will record them out to individual what they call stems. Like this is the dialogue stem. And the only thing on this piece of tape or 35 millimeter film is just the dialogue right. and then we'll have you know stereo track for the effects and it's just the sound effects and then there was one for the music so we, we had that pulled and absolutely of course since it's literally the final mix it has all the music on it however it has its own set of problems it's it's clearly a dub because it's the final mix so it's all the composite of everything together so it's it's not you're you know we tend to go back to the earliest you know the earliest generation recordings right. of, for the music if possible it's also edited to match the picture, which right. is a problem. And then on top of that, the music has to compete with sound effects and dialogue now. So the music volume goes up and down. And it it was really, it was depressing. <laughs> it, it was because, you know, Batman was the biggest hit of 1989. Yeah. It's a huge hit for Warner Brothers. And we couldn't find it. Uh, you know, we couldn't find the whole thing. And it's like, you know, I've worked on, you know, scores much, much older than that. That, that we, were that, in better condition. That, that, yeah, that we could find. Um, and then a few years later, there's a, there's a happy part of this story. <laughs> you don't have to worry about it. Um, a few years later, uh, I was digging around Warner some more, 
and I found some dats for Batman. I went, oh, we didn't have these dats. Let me let me take a look at these. Digital audio. Digital audio tape. tape. It was a, it was a prosum what they call a prosumer format. You know, huh. con consumers and professionals used it. You know, it wasn't. Prosumer. That's prosumer. A new, that's a new one. I hadn't heard that prosumer. term. <laughs> Wikipedia. That. It's it's a it's a term. <laughs> so 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 yeah, we had these. I found these dats, and I was like, can I transfer these? I just I just want to hear them, and I was like. I was told, yeah, yeah, go ahead. I went, okay. So I transferred. I was like, oh my God. Now, I had that's transferred. I had the mag transferred. I had the quarter inch transferred. Still didn't have the complete score. <laughs> but, or I think at that point we had the full score, but it wasn't in the, it, it still didn't have the best, best, best quality possible. But this plugged in some holes. It was like, oh my gosh, we only had this before from this sort of hissy mag as like i couldn't figure out why the mag uh you know was sort of uh it, it, the mag wasn't very good sounding and, and mag should be good sounding mag should be terrific sounding that's um, like first generation. these were mixes um i've been doing more research you know every project you learn something and you sort of figure out these engineers recording patterns so like I love working on Jerry Goldsmith, Bruce Botnick projects because Jerry Goldsmith insisted on having a live mix recorded. So Bruce would record a live mix and usually it was it's right there on the tape. You find the mix, you go, there it is. This is this is what they wanted and great. Uh, Batman was recorded by Eric Tomlinson. And my experience with Tomlinson, I'm sure you'll probably get some angry email saying, <laughs> Neil's wrong. <laughs> but my experience has been that Tomlinson would record a multi-track, you know, uh, uh, one one track for violins or you know one track for child. I'm, I'm, I'm making this you know simpler than right, right, really, right. but you know that sort of thing. He would record. <laughs> so let's say let's say Batman and Batman was recorded to Mitsubishi Digital. I've seen the tapes, I've seen some of the tapes. Um, it was 32 track. With those 32 tracks, they never recorded a mix on those 32 track digital tapes. And what Tomlinson would tend to do is he would record the 32 track and then remix. So he would take the 32 track digital and remix out to mag. Hmm. So these mags were, by all intents and purposes, the first generation. They came from digital. Mag is a, a high quality analog format. And these were his mixes. These were Eric Tomlinson's film mixes for Batman. Um, and it, for whatever reason, the quality that we had on them just it didn't hold up hmm. uh, but in some cases it was all we had literally it was all we had uh so we had to we had to make do with it uh, and there never would have been a situation of like we don't have enough we're going to cancel the project no 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 no. it was the it was the exact opposite in 2010 it was it was we're going to comic-con with this <laughs> so we have to have something and i you know i was sort of naive then i was like well would people mind if we left you know this off and they're like yes people would mind i went okay okay so so anyway i found the dats i transferred them and these are great and then la la land had suggested they had mentioned it you know maybe coming out again or something and, and at some point they finally said yes we were putting batman but because that 2010 album sold out we did 5,000 copies and it sold out and it's great. great. It's great. Wonderful. I'm, I'm thrilled. And they said, oh, we're going to put it back out. I said, eh, guys, hold on a second. Now, this was 2014. I found the dats in 2012. So, so the album came out in 2010. I, I never gave up on it. And then in 2012, uh, uh, I found the dats and I just sort of, 
was like, oh, well, <laughs> fine. And then when they came and they said, oh, we're going to put it back. I said, hey, guys, wait a second. We can put it back out. I can do the exact same album, exact same album, but I have better stuff now. I can, you know, we exact same track list, hmm. but it'll be an upgrade in quality. And I'm really thankful that they said, yeah, let's let's do that. That can be a tough sell as well. If for I mean, as far as the consumer market thinking, oh, geez, I got to buy it again because. Yeah, and it's only four years later. And, and it's also like, well, we really just wanted to put this thing back out quick and dirty and easy, which is fine. You yeah. know, that's, a, you know, that's a, it's how you do business, you know. Yeah. But I was like, no, we could really sort of we could make this better. Um, so that's. That's what we did. giving away anything here uh, mondo just released batman returns which is another album and mondo is a they are exclusively vinyl they are a vinyl i, I think so uh label yeah but, like but they're seen. sort of a collector's market they do high-end posters and, yeah. and, and collectibles and they, they've started putting out really cool vinyl records and then so so I've, i'd heard through the grapevine that they were doing batman and batman returns and i was like hey guys I, I, I have this stuff. I you can't see it. I just waved to Brian. I did the I did the hi guys. And I didn't wave back. He didn't he did not wave back. He, <laughs> he didn't acknowledge it. So anyway, um I, I was like, oh, um, if you're ever doing these, please let me know. Um I have a lot of experience with Batman at this point, Batman and Batman Returns. So they they said, Well, we don't have any plans right now, but if we do, we'll get in touch with you. And surprisingly, they did. <laughs> Uh, which, which was great. And they, they, they said, hey, we want to put out Batman and Batman Returns. So Batman Returns just came out. It sold at MondoCon. We put out a three-platter set of, of that full score, but then we're also doing a two-platter set of the original soundtrack album for Batman Returns. Huh. And I know I'm not betraying anything because there's a little OBI strip on the vinyl record that's this little strip on the side of the spine. You know, mm -hmm. like the, the Japanese CDs always have them and I vaguely recall. I, I have one over there. I'll, I'll show it to you. Um, they say coming in 2018 is Batman. And yeah, so we're also doing Batman for vinyl. And That's... it's going to sound terrific. Nice. Very yeah. nice. I can't get it out of my life. <laughs> well, and, uh, you know, so yeah, a lot of that, you know, for your, your day in and day out grind is a lot of archaeology in a mm -hmm. way. I mean, it really is just having to pour through documentation or you're pouring through the elements or you're like having to just listen in and piece together sometimes the these the the scores absolutely in a listenable format yeah i just i just did um another project it was a 32 track digital that didn't have any paperwork nobody wrote anything down not for what's on the track sheet like so i don't know what the 32 tracks are how did anybody keep track of anything do they just 
I, hey, Gary, remember this? Yeah, it's like, <laughs> don't forget, Earl. <laughs> Channel five is the overlay. It's like, okay, no, I don't, I don't know. I'm, I'm sure there was some. Um, I know when I did Lethal Weapon two. Um, Lethal Weapon two was also like some some multi track and and it was a, a big job. But on that one, <laughs> you ask, they uh, had a it was it was bizarre. So so picture this one. I've never had this happen on any other project. The tapes were obviously with Warner's tape thing, but all the music paperwork was in the music department. That makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. However, also in the music department was a binder that detailed every single cue with the time code and tracks where they were mixed for every single cue on Lethal Weapon 2. So while I had terrific mixes from a DAT on that one, which is a prosumer format, Again, that word. Yeah, yeah. There's, <laughs> just making sure you're paying attention. Yep. Um, I needed other cues from the digital, and I was able to actually go to Warner Brothers to their sound department with armed with this binder and say, transfer this tape, these time codes, these tracks. Wow. And we were able to get everything from Lethal Weapon 2. Um, so so, so in, in, in that case, I had that binder was the Rosetta Stone that told me where everything was. If I only had the tapes, I would have been lost. Yeah. It would, I would have been adrift. So this other project that I just did, it was like, oh, <laughs> I, I sort of had to go, oh, I figured this out. This is this, this is this, this is this. Good. And then I pieced it all together. Wow. So, And as a fan yes. coming into this, because obviously you're, you didn't come into this job without being a fan, mm -hmm. um, when you do a project like Batman or the Lethal Weapon set, which is fantastic. You. you make discoveries, mm -hmm. which you as a fan are probably excited by, I didn't know this existed or, you know, this was a surprise and how it was done. Um, I guess you, you come into that, you have that happen from time to time. It does. Sometimes you don't think about it so much. Um, you so, obviously, yes, I, I enjoy this music greatly. I was raised on it. Um, I love I love these movies. I love this music. It's it's terrific. But when you're sitting down and working on it, you it's so, objective. You kind of have to distance yourself from it. You can't be the the sort of fan at that point. That will come. Right. That will absolutely come. But when you're sitting there working on it, you're just sort of like you're tuned in differently. Your brain works differently. You're like you're not so much interested in obviously it's very cool we're going to have this cue on the album right but you're sort of more like is it the right take is it the right mix what's wrong with this performance and and, and you and, save and, the freak and, out to later right and then once it's all done you're like whoa i can't believe i can't believe that's on there. that that's <laughs> that's awesome you know i was listening to lethal weapon 2 the other day it keeps going back to lethal weapon 2 or batman or batman it's all warner brothers it's all summer 89 yeah it's, it's all summer 89 <laughs> uh we'll talk to about the abyss shortly and, <laughs> and star trek 5 uh I was just listening to Lethal Weapon 2 the other day, and I've said it elsewhere, not compositionally, mm -hmm. but the idea is it's kind of like The Empire Strikes Back, in that The Empire Strikes Back is a score we all love, but Williams scored that pretty much wall to wall, and a good chunk of it didn't get used. And right. Lethal Weapon 2 is the exact same way. It's like... Michael Kamen just... From start to finish, pretty much top to bottom, scored Lethal Weapon two, and and the action, like the whole opening action scene, you can follow along in the music what's happening on screen. 
not much of it got used and you can hear what it bring it in in the movie but the album opening you're just like oh my gosh none of this is in the movie but you know exactly what's happening and the whole score sort of progressively so it, it tells the story musically that's cool i think <laughs> I think one of the great things about what you've been able to do from your you know, job standpoint is revisit scores, um, and obviously scores that some scores that had never been on album before at all, mm -hmm. and that's wide open. I love you, that. You don't have any templates. It's my to follow. favorite thing. Yeah, I can imagine that was a little easier than. <laughs> but for those those fan favorites that are from the era of LPs and cassettes, where mm -hmm. there were limitations on, you only have 20 minutes per side, or at max 50 minutes for an LP or whatever. And now you get to go back and include all the music from the movie, mm -hmm. you know. And so that's that's a tough project um, to to wrap your arms around. It's I a can imagine it's a different beast because now you have so you know you have something that had been put out that people are familiar with, and you you know you have to get it right. You, There's a precedent. Yeah, so you have to you don't want to alienate what people have grown up with or become attached to but on the flip side you want to put out new stuff um i'm a big proponent in many cases of including the original album where possible i agree or um i have an album coming out where you can more or less sequence the original album if you want to okay um in that case i put the album versions of cues in the film sequence, I know mm -hmm. I'm going to get a lot of hate mail on that one, but <laughs> I was like, you know what? This there's not that much of a difference, and if we we can genuinely call this an expanded album, yeah, because here is here are the album cues, and they're right there. But if you you're industrious and you want to make your own playlist, yes, you can put you can plug in the film film versions. But yeah, so I, I like including the original album version, even if it's the same recording. There's a lot of validity, and and again, this is for anyone listening who's not aware in terms of album versions of, of, of those scores in terms of the time constrictions, but also if a composer, if, you know, John Williams wrote a 10-minute long cue and it's 10 minutes in the movie, he may edit it down to five minutes because, you know, reasons. Well, you know, he, he wanted something that was album length and he would cut out five minutes and edit it down. Well, you know, going back to Batman, um, I grew up with that album. You know that that original, the original '89 soundtrack, album, which I love. Yeah, and it's really a very well produced album. And when we did the 2010 release, I was like, "Well, there's no way we can't include that original album. We have to. It's iconic." And I, you know, I know I'm gonna. Uh oh, here comes the hate mail. <laughs> I love. It goes to my inbox. Oh, but I can forward it so, to no, you. No, 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 don't bother. Don't bother. <laughs> but I, I love, I love Attack of the Batwing. 
Yeah. It's it's a combination of I think two cues, but I think it's, it's Batwing two and three, or I don't I don't remember now. I don't have my notes in front of me, but he condensed these two big action cues into one powerhouse cue. Yeah, that is it's just dynamite. It's, it's like four and a half minutes, mm-hmm. and not that what he edited out was bad. No. It's 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 great. It's just it's more. But the four and a half minutes, it uh, flies by. It's it's, it's 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 tight. Yeah, it's a tight action cue. Yeah, you know, we cut out you know the moment where Vicky's taking pictures and yeah. you know, all that stuff, and really just distilled it down to one of the most exciting cues. This is unique for soundtracks. I mean, it's like in no other. I, I don't know. Right. It, it is. It's like you know, even if you're doing like a live album of a band, it's like you don't edit out so and so's guitar solo because he went on too long. It's like, well, that's the live album. I, I think I have a recording of bolero that was cut down but it might have been for 78 oh that's hilarious bolero. yeah yeah, so it's 14 minutes but it's much shorter because they they put Uh, on a 78 or something it's a lot of repeats easy to edit i you know (laughs) you can't touch bolero but yeah but 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 most most of you're right soundtracks are really this is its own unique animal as far as music genres go I, i don't i can't think of a comparison to make because it's programmatic music for a function and it fulfills that function in the movie. Putting it on an album is not its primary function, and yet it's great music, and you want to listen to it on its own. It's it's I've said this before, but it's it's the one thing you can pull out of a movie and still enjoy on its own. You can't take a costume. Yeah. You know you can't take right. editing out. Yeah. <laughs> you, you know, but you can take the music out. And release it and go, oh, that's, a, you know, I get that. I get what yeah. that is. And, and that functions its own thing. I mean, what other part of a movie can you literally strip away? <laughs> yeah, I mean, you can't. You know, yeah, there really isn't anything. The color green. You can't, you can't do that. You go, oh, yeah, yeah. But the music yeah. is its own thing. It's, it's 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 a unique art form. Yeah, and in, and even though you know so much of th- so much of cinema inherited cinema inherited so much from the theater as far as set costume music you know uh, you know a lot of the a lot of that stuff got you know transplanted to you know the to cinema um but in the but again music from the theater if it's a ballet or opera you're not unless it's an album of highlights Mm -hmm. you're not usually editing the actual music and i've often made that comparison with you know in conversations with fans and non-fans about the albums that oh well there's hey someone says there's two versions of empire strikes back or i see the, you know what you know do i get this or that i'm like well do you want the highlights or do you want all two hours of music do you you know it, it's one of those things how much do you want and they're both valid right you know i they're both a different experience you know i hadn't considered it until right now it's like if beethoven was still with us today would he cut down his symphonies for cd release he'd be like no no, no i don't need that doesn't need to be. He's like, those repeats. I'm not a fan of those. <laughs> How much of Ode to Joy do you we know, really can, need? Do we, yeah, yeah, we could cut that down. <laughs> like, would that happen? That's uh, probably not. And then the unedited version, hopefully, would be in Die Hard. So, you know. yeah, yeah. <laughs>
So this wraps up part one of my interview with soundtrack editor and producer Neil Bulk. Part two of the interview will be available soon in the uh, following episode. I think there's just too much uh, neat stuff for me to fit into one episode, so I decided to split it into two. Uh, I want to thank everyone for listening today, um, and I hope you found it both fun and informative. Um, along with the uh, earlier segment on uh, in the episode about the score for the 1976 uh, science fiction movie Logan's Run. Uh, music in today's episode was from the following films. Uh, of course, there was the aforementioned Logan's Run, composed by Jerry Goldsmith. Uh, there was music from Batman in 1989, uh, composed by Danny Elfman. Uh, Lethal Weapon 2, composed by Michael Kamen, and also some music there at the end from Die Hard, uh, composed by Michael Kamen, uh, where he also incorporates music from uh, Beethoven's uh, Ninth Symphony, specifically the Ode to Joy. Uh, if you're interested uh, in checking out the albums that Neil has worked on, you can find these at the labels he mentioned, such as La La Land Records, Entrada Records, uh, Quartet, and Varez Saraband Records. If you'd like to send any comments or questions, uh, you can email the show at podcast at gmail.com. Find the blog at escortasettle.blogspot.com, on Facebook at Escortasettle, and eventually you'll be able to find it on Twitter, uh, so stay tuned for that information. Thanks again for listening. <laughs>